0: Right here at the University of Chicago is the world's foremost researcher on the medical effects of loneliness. very interesting study that he's been doing, and in in one of his experiments, they drew blood from older adults who indicated, I'm lonely, and they analyzed the white cells. And after doing that study, this researcher, a man by the name of John Cacioppo, said this, He said, We found that loneliness somehow penetrated the deepest recesses of the cell and altered the way that genes were being expressed. Loneliness, they've discovered, quite seriously, in terms of your life expectancy is as bad for you as smoking. Unfortunately, there are more and more lonely people today. Slate Magazine reported not too long ago that in the past 30 years, the percentage of American adults who would say, would honestly admit, yes, I'm lonely, has doubled. It's now 40%. And so if you're here this morning, you may well be one of those 40% of our American adults who would say, I'm lonely. I, str- I suffer with loneliness. And if you're not, and if you're in the 60%, you most likely fear that. Oscar-winning actress Anne Hathaway, brilliant actress, said recently, she said, the thing that I am most worried about is just being alone. Without anybody to care for or somebody who will care for me. Joss Whedon, the man who directed the Avengers movie and is now working on the next one coming out next summer, he put it in kind of an action movie director way. He said, loneliness is about the scariest thing out there. And so most people I know, if you lined up the various human fears that we all experience, maybe it's the, the fear of failure, or maybe it's the fear of the unknown, or maybe it's the fear of being alone, they would say the biggest, baddest boogeyman is that one. Because we all know, don't we, that if we have someone who's in our corner, if we have someone who will walk with us, then we will have the courage and strength to face the unknown or to push through the failure. But if not, how will we make it? This morning, if you are in that 40%, and you're feeling alone, I want to bring a word straight from the Lord Jesus Christ to you. And if you're in the 60% and you're afraid of that, I want to speak to you this morning. If you will open your heart to take in this, this clear teaching of Jesus Christ, it will set your heart at peace. It can give you an assurance and a comfort and make your heart no longer troubled. Let's look at that together. On the night before Jesus died, it tells us that Judas left the room. And so Jesus knows that Judas is going to get the people who will arrest him and torture him. He knows I have maybe one hour, maybe two hours, with these closest friends of mine to teach them. And so every word that he utters is now just heavy with meaning. And he says, Dear children, I, I, I'm gonna leave you. In a little while, I'll be going. But let's pick it up at John 14 1. If you would turn there. He says, Yes, you know, I'm leaving, but don't let your hearts be troubled. How can he say that? Look at verse 16. Because even though I'm going, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. Now, this word advocate, you can can almost see the, the Bible translators breaking out into a sweat right here. Because the Greek word paraclete is so rich in its meaning that no one English word can get the job done. And so different translators have gone with uh, advocate. And then other ones have gone with comforter. And some have used the word helper. And some just threw up their hands and just called it paraclete. They didn't even translate the word. Because it can mean mean helper. It can mean friend. It can mean intercessor. It can mean teacher. We might even use the words today coach or, or mentor. It can mean attorney. Basically, it means someone who's there when you need it with help you don't have. We all need an advocate, don't we? There's so many situations where we're in way over our head and we need somebody to show up there with us. I was in traffic court and uh, while I was waiting for my case, uh, I, there was a woman whose it was turned for her case, so she walked up to the bench and the judge, without even really looking up, just said, uh, you're charged with failing to yield the right-of-way to an emergency vehicle. How do you plead? And she said, uh, well, uh, Your Honor, I, um, I had my music up, and I was kind of distracted. And so, yeah, I, I didn't pull over. I guess, I guess I plead guilty. So the judge took his glasses and put them down on the end of the nose, his nose and peered over the bench and said, Do you have any idea how serious these charges are against you? She shook her head. He's like, you will get a fine of at least $750 and your license will be immediately suspended. Do you have legal counsel here with you? She's like, no, your honor. He's like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pretend you weren't here today. And we're gonna grant a continuance of your case. And when you come back, come with legal counsel. You see, this is the kind of situation that you and I find ourselves in over and over again in life. We're like, we think we got it. No, we don't got it. We don't got it unless we have someone wiser than us, someone stronger than us, someone who will stand with us and strengthen us and advocate for us. And Jesus says, I'm giving you that. I'm giving you an advocate, a helper. And look at this. He will never leave you. Never leave you. Now, how many of you have felt, as, as I have felt at various times in my Christian life, wow, it would have been so awesome to be here on earth when Jesus was in the midst of his earthly ministry. It would have been unbelievable to see him walk on water or to, to feed, take a few loaves of bread and feed 5,000 people with it. That would have been awesome. I would have had amazing faith. That would have been the best possible time to be alive. How many of you have thought that or some variation? Yeah, many, many of us, most of us maybe. And what Jesus is saying is, no, no, no. See, I've I've been with you, he's telling them, in an occasional way. I've been with you for three years, day in and day out, but there have been times where I went off to pray on the mountain all night and I didn't let you come. There have been other times where I sent you into mission, off two by two to go to villages ahead of me, and I didn't go with you. So my presence was recurring, but it wasn't constant. But now I'm going to give you another advocate, another rabbi, just like me, who will never leave you. And it gets even better than that. Look at verse 17. He's saying, the world can't receive this Holy Spirit, but you know him because he lives with you now, and later, once I'm ascended and the Spirit is poured out, will be in you. Now that takes it to a whole new level. The closest you could get to Jesus was a hug, but he's still there and you're still here. But now he's saying, I'm gonna give you my presence, my Holy Spirit, to not just be near you, to be inside you. See, now, if we take this analogy of this woman from traffic court, it'd be great for her to go out and hire an attorney and have that attorney there on the day she reappears. It'd be even better for her to go out and marry an attorney so she can get free counsel anytime she needs it. But you know not be the best is for her to go back to law school and become a lawyer. So when she shows up before the bench, the judge says, do you have legal counsel with you? Oh, yes, I do. I got it right here. I brought it with me. And Jesus is saying, you go into any situation, you bring his presence, his spirit with you because he's living in you and he'll never leave you. And so Jesus can tell us with confidence, this is an unbreakable promise from the Lord Jesus Christ. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus Christ will not abandon you. He cannot abandon you. How could you ever be abandoned by a Holy Spirit who lives inside you? It's never going to happen. Now notice that Jesus doesn't say, I will never take you through trials. In fact, many times on this last hour or two, he tells them, in this world, you will have troubles, you will have trials, you will have tribulations, but I will not abandon you in them. I'll be right there inside you through the power of my Holy Spirit. Now that makes life different. Some of you right now, you're facing a trial. You have no idea how you're gonna get through it. Let me tell you how you're going to get through it. The presence of the Spirit of Jesus Christ living inside you is how you get through it. You go, well, I I don't have the words to say. I'm in this relationship. It hits the wall. I don't even know what I would say. Luke 12, 12. The Spirit within you will give you the words you need when you need them. You go, I'm so overwhelmed by this trial, I can't even pray. I have no idea what words I would use to pray. Romans 8, the spirit within you will groan in groaning's too deep for words to pray what's on the heart of God for you. You go, wow, I, I need strength. I don't have enough strength. He's called the spirit of might. You say, I need peace. Peace is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing you will need in this situation that the Holy Spirit living in you will not provide for you. And so Jesus says, I will not abandon you. Praise God. Now, that's why Jesus can say, verse 27, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. He started out saying, don't let your hearts be troubled, and he's finishing saying, don't be troubled and afraid because I'm not going to leave you. I'll be right there with you. I'll be inside you. Now, what is it like to go and face a trial without the resident Holy Spirit in your life? You have no resource for it. It's sad. I hurt for people. I see them doing the best they can, but all they, the only options they've got on the table is anger and defensiveness and fear and shutting down. They have no way that they can draw on the Holy Spirit within them. Oh, we need more of the Holy Spirit. Today, we ought to just beg the Lord to pour out more of his Holy Spirit inside us and give us this amazing resource. Friends, when you and I understand what this means, we no longer look at Pentecost as some sort of low-budget wannabe festival that'll never be as good as Christmas or Easter. No, this is is the entry into the intimate communion with the living God. We need it, and we have it. Now, what does it mean for you that Jesus has told you, promised you, I will not abandon you? I want to apply this pastorally to two situations that you might be in. The first is you've sinned, you know it, You're not in denial about it But what that's done for you Is it's awakened all your lurking fears and doubts God's going to leave me If I were God I would leave me I should know better by now But I just keep repeating It seems like I'm getting worse I remember when the Spirit taught me about this once Uh, A friend had hurt me And I was angry And then I got really angry And then I got really, really angry And the Holy Spirit, speaking through my conscience, kind of checked me and said, you know, you should really start working on forgiving. And I was like, la, 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 la. I'm not listening to you because I'm angry and I wanna be angry. And I waited full in and just wallowed in a mud bath of anger and revenge. And I thought, how am I gonna get back at this person for what he's done to me? And, And oh man, I had great ideas. They all would look subtle and spiritual, but so devastating. And after about two or three weeks, I thought, man, why is it I no longer sense the presence of the Lord with me? Huh? I was like, oh, I got to deal with this. And I don't want to give this up. And then my conscience really kicked in. And I realized, oh man, for weeks now, I have been repeatedly choosing revenge. In my spirit, I have resisted the prompting and whisper of the Holy Spirit over and over and over. And I didn't do it accidentally, and I didn't do it out of some sort of weakness. I chose it. And all of a sudden, my conscience hit me, and I was like, what have I done? What am I doing? Why am I like this? God, I wouldn't stay with me. If I were you, I wouldn't. And you know what Jesus says to you in that moment? He says, I will not abandon you. You can grieve the Holy Spirit, but that's because the Holy Spirit is still there in relationship with you, suffering from your choice, but he's right there wooing you back and saying, come on back. You could repent this morning and return to the sweet fellowship of the Lord if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit within you, but he will not leave you. Second situation that some of you may be in. You're like, you know, I can see it coming. I know there's a situation coming. My loved one is sick, and it's not getting better. Whatever it may be, my business is going down. My job is not certain. I I, I can see it coming, and I have no idea how am I going to get through that. You will not be abandoned. In the very middle of that situation, Jesus will be with you and in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. Some years ago now, Karen and I were uh, trying to have a, a baby, and we were so excited when the when the test came back positive, and we started prepping and getting everything ready for the baby. And somewhere in between the third and fourth month, things started to go wrong. So we went to the doctor, and he did the tests and that. And he was sitting there in his lab coat and pulled up the chair close, which I knew was not a good sign. And he said, "I'm sorry to tell you that you've lost the pregnancy." We don't know why this happens, just sometimes it does. And we've got you scheduled for a DNC, don't go home, we'll just go right in to the surgical suite as soon as it's ready. Well, they brought her out, and they brought her into the recovery room, but it was really more like the recovery corral. There was like bed, 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 and in between each bed was some bright-colored curtain trying to put a smiley face on everybody's trauma. And right ne- we weren't even talking to each other because right next to us there were like eight family members packed in with their person, talking really loud, and we didn't have the energy to even talk over them. But more of it was just inside ourselves. We were like, oh, I don't even know what I would say. We were both thinking the same thing. We were going to be here in just a few more months holding our baby, and now we've got nothing to go home with except holding our heartbreak. And the nurses came in. They wanted to get her blood sugar up. And so they brought a pack of saltine crackers and a styrofoam cup with orange juice in it. And Karen wasn't feeling very good. And so I picked up that saltine cracker and I just kind of went like that and broke it in half and gave her the, the cracker. And then I took that cup of juice and tilted it up to her lips so she could sip it. And there was something in those small familiar actions, that suddenly it was like the key in the music changed, the, the perfume came into the room, the presence of Jesus Christ was there with us. We both sensed it, and we looked at each other, and we like whispered, he's here. It was almost like in that recovery room at Delnor Hospital, we were sensing the presence of Jesus Christ as if it were a miniature Eucharist. Oh, my friends, Jesus promises you, I will not abandon you. There's nowhere you can go. I will not be with you. And I will give you my spirit who will stay with you. He'll live in you. And he will never, ever leave you.